society. Yeah, wait. I don't ever want to be like you. Oh my god. <laughs> Fuck. Is that simple plan? I haven't a clue. I don't ever want to be you. How did that come into your... Oh, wait. This is the anthem. That song? Oh, oh, that's Good Charlotte. Is it called the anthem? Yeah, wait, the anthem... Oh, no, my internet just went out. (laughs) (laughs) This is an emergency. (laughs) Fuck. Is that the same song, or did I just start a new song? Uh, That's what I'm trying to figure out. We want to be just like you. This is the anthem. Throw all your hands up. Yeah. But that very well could be Throw two all your hands songs. up. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Yeah, no, it is. It is Good Charlotte, the anthem. Oh, okay, wait. Maybe I love that song. <laughs> look around, look around. We have to start every episode with some kind of pop punk figuring out the lyrics to a pop punk <laughs> song that we're not quite sure about. But it does rest somewhere in our bodies. We're just playing heads up now. Caroline. Yeah? <laughs> I prepared our first actor spotlight. <gasps> Today's featured perform... <laughs> this is our soundboard. This is how you troll people with the soundboard. <laughs> Today's performer is our gal, Evangeline Lilly. Yay! Is this why you invited all these children over? (laughs) Okay, get out. (laughs) So here's just a collection of facts, and we'll see how it goes. This is our first time. Okay. Lost was her first leading role. Her only prior experience was commercials and uncredited extra work. And for Lost, she was nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Drama Series, and she won a SAG Award. I had no idea that she's the titular wasp of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh. She's in, like, only huge franchises. I'm so confused. (laughs) She's been in three Marvel movies, plus there's one in pre-production. She's the author of children's book series The Squicker Wonkers, (gasps) the first of which (laughs) came out in July 2013. I want to look up a picture of what the cover is. Each character... How do you spell that? The way you would imagine. Oh, okay. Like, S. Quick. Each character in the Squickerwonker family has a unique vice, which will eventually become their undoing. Oh, this li- this is, like, creepy. Sweet. This is kind of like, um... Spiderwick? Because that's what it sounds like. I don't know what Spiderwick is. <laughs> this is a little bit like Edward Gorey. I don't know what Who's that is. the illustrator? Johnny Fraser Allen. Okay. Cool. She majored in international relations at the University of British Columbia. She said that she thought at the time of auditioning that Lost would at best be a mediocre TV show. Mm. Damon Lindelof said he and J.J. Abrams were fast forwarding through a tape when they saw her and said, that's the girl. Okay. Like, whoa. Fuck off. (laughs) Relax. In 2007, TV Guide voted her the number one sexiest woman on television. Wow. And she was on the Maxim Hot 100 a few times. She was voted one of People Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People. She was in The Hurt Locker. I didn't know that she's, she's like, the, oh. she's the only woman in the main cast. That film won six Oscars, including Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Picture. In fact, it's still the only Best Picture winner directed by a woman. That's one film out of 92. 
In 2006, while she was on the set of Lost, she lost all her possessions in a house fire. (gasps) And she described the experience as almost liberating. Oh. (laughs) Cats are fighting fighting outside. About that. Wait, you know who else lost all their shit in a fire was um, Annie Murphy. Annie Murphy from From, Schitt's Creek. Oh, like while they were working? Yeah, I think. Wait, hold on. I'm going to look that up. Yeah, oh, okay, her apartment burned down, and she had less than $200 to her name before she got her role on Shit's Creek. Whoa. Wow. Wait, but that happened while she was filming? Yeah, like, so, like while she they were on set. So, like, she was in She's in Hallelujah. Yeah, while, while she was on set. She does a lot of humanitarian work. She, uh, while she was in university, she founded and ran a World Development and Human Rights Committee. At the school, she has lived in a grass hut in the jungles of the Philippines with a missionary group, and she's been a volunteer for a children's project since the age of 14. I have something special. I hope it's queued up. Do you remember? Do you remember these commercials? Is it like a phone sex thing? She was the live links girl. Oh my god! I live for that. And those ads were still airing, like, when Lost premiered. Oh, (laughs) hell yeah. I love that. Her father was raised in Kenya because his parents were missionaries in Africa. So is she religious? Yeah, I think think she was raised Christian. Kristen. Kristen. (laughs) She was raised Christian, and she, like, did a lot of missionary work and whatever. Well, I don't know if it was missionary work. It was definitely humanitarian work. And I can't speak to what her deal is currently because it didn't say. Mm. Um, Oh, one of her quotes, though, was like, people wouldn't expect a good Christian girl to act the way I act. So I guess she was Christian. But she's a cool Christian. I guess. Um, Oh, she loves to climb trees. And when we were watching (laughs) this episode, when Kate had to climb that fucking tree, I was like, damn, that looks so hard. Why didn't Jack just do it? I thought it was weird that Jack was like, you do it. But then... Evangeline Lily genuinely loves to climb trees, so that's why Kate's always fucking climbing. I know. She's fluent in French. She loves to paint, read, write. She loves nature. She loves tea. (laughs) (laughs) You love tea! Whoa! She said that working as a flight attendant was the worst job she ever had. Whoa, wait. (laughs) (laughs) I've always wanted to know what that's like. That was my sister's, like, goal job when she was a kid. Because she loves flying. Yeah. Probably because my dad loves flying. Here's a quote. I became an actress by accident. I was doing a psychological exercise with myself, challenging myself by going to auditions. I had Wait, okay, so she was not an actor, but she was going to auditions. Yeah. So she went to school for international relations. She goes all over the world for humanitarian work. And then for a psychological exercise, well, if someone from like Ford modeling agency discovered her and started sending her on commercial auditions. Oh, okay. I had no I idea. I forgot that she's insanely gorgeous. And so, of course, she must have been a model too. Go on. I had no idea that it would connect to a job. I had no intention for it to connect to a job. I was doing it as an exercise. Anyway. I'm going to flip this table. <laughs> She's this gotta is be the last fucking... actor spotlight that you're going to do. Can you imagine how much fucking money she has because she's in 
Lord of the Rings movies, Marvel movies, the Wasp, Lost, yeah. like, uh, um, that's all I've got. <laughs> I love the name Evangeline. That's on my Me short too. list of names I would name a girl. That's um one of my favorite Brandy Carlisle songs. I know, right? Cool. <laughs> Great. Well, that actually segues very nicely into December 8th, 2004. <laughs> Does it? No. <laughs> um, All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues. That is the title of Lost. <laughs> That's my opinion. Season 1, <laughs> episode 11. Um, I also found a song called All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues, but it was written oh. after the episode. So it wasn't oh, okay. based on that it's song. A, what? The title's based on an album, right? Yeah, it's like, well, there's a Pete Townsend, all the best cowboys have Chinese eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this this title for a song. I like that. (laughs) Um, director Stephen Williams, he directed 26 episodes of Lost. He was also a producer slash director on Watchmen. Um, and he, he directed the episode where she goes back in time as her grandpa. Oh, that show was so much better than I expected. Mm-hmm. I never so would have watched it. Movie. <laughs> oh my God. That movie. I mean, it's not, I don't, I don't, well, actually I couldn't say because I fell asleep during the movie. Um, That's one of the few movies that we had, haven't finished. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a dark day for us. So the episode premiered on December 8th, 2004, on that very same day, at the Al Rosa Villa nightclub in Columbus, Ohio, 25-year-old Nathan Gale shoots and kills four people. Uh, trigger warning for gun violence again, but it's not... I suck at this. Um, <laughs> and uh, he shoots and kills four people before being shot and killed by police while holding a wounded hostage. The main target of the attack was Daryl Lance Abbott, best known by his stage name Dimebag Daryl, or often just Dimebag. Abbott was on stage with his heavy metal band Damage Plan while the shooting took place. Other victims include Damage Plan's head of security, Jeffrey Mayhem Thompson, who tackled Gale and was shot in the struggle, a fan, Nathan Bray, who climbed on stage and tried to help Abbott and Thompson, and Aaron Halk, an employee of the nightclub who tried to disarm Gale while he was reloading. Months earlier, on April 4th, 2004, Gale had run onto the stage during another damage plan performance in Cincinnati. He was unarmed that time and was stopped by security before he got to any of the band members. He refused to leave the stage and knocked over a lighting rig, causing $2,000 worth of damage. The band didn't press any charges because they didn't want to return to Cincinnati for the court hearings. Damn. So this was kind of written off as just like a weird thing that happened. The band's vocalist, Patrick Lockman, joked about it later on during that set. Uh, After graduating... So now we're shifting gears. We're talking about Nathan Gale. After After graduating in high school in 88... Nathan Gale developed a drug addiction. Wikipedia doesn't say what drug specifically. Uh, And during this time, he lived with his mother. After a violent altercation, she kicks him out and he becomes homeless. She agrees to take him back after he agrees to go to rehab. So in 2002, he enlists in the Marines. His mother is so proud of him that for Christmas, she buys him the gun that he would later use for the shooting two years later. Yeah. After a year, Gail is discharged from the Marines. After the shooting, his mother says that this was because um, he was diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenic. 
she believed Gail was not taking any medication for his illness, which was later confirmed when the autopsy revealed that there were no drugs in his system. Gail was also an offensive lineman for the semi-professional Lima Thunder football team. He was six foot three and 250 pounds. Mm. He used to listen to Pantera, which was Abbott's former band, which disbanded in 2003. He would listen to that before games to get himself into, like, the psychological headspace. <laughs> Scary. Uh, a former friend of his, Dave Johnson, said that Gail wanted to play songs with Johnson's band that he had written. So Gail's written songs he wants to play with his friend Dave, who has a band. Uh, one of Johnson's bandmates pointed out that the lyrics were copied from Pantera <laughs> and Gail said that Pantera copied him and, <laughs> and that the band members were going to steal his identity. Oh. Yeah, I know. Uh, some people speculated that the shooting was motivated by Abbott's split with his old band. Some people say that, like, when, like, before he fired, he was like, this is for breaking up Pantera, but no one who was there, um... Like, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's no evidence of that. So the night of the shooting, Gail paced outside the venue during the opening acts. Another attendee asked him why he wasn't coming inside, to which he said, I don't want to see no shitty local bands. I'm going to wait for a damage plan. Wow. Yeah, rude. Um, <laughs> but the club manager believed that he was a loiterer who didn't actually have a ticket, so they made him leave. When damage plan went on, Gail climbed a six-foot fence and then entered through a side door, which was probably worked out well for him because that way he was able to, like, bypass security a lot easier. Mm -hmm. um, as Damage Plan played their first song, Gail rushed on stage and shot Daryl Abbott four times point blank. Some people thought this is the, like, most chilling part of the story. Some people thought that this was part of the act. Oh my God. So a security guard said people were pumping their fists thinking that it was a hoax. Oh my God. Chilling. Um, what if that's what you saw when you were dying? Right? People being like, yeah. Uh, Damage Plan's drum technician, John Cat Brooks, tried to subdue him and was shot twice in the leg. And he was, he was the wounded hostage that okay. I was talking about earlier. Um, Gail was shot once in the back of the head by a police officer who had entered the club from behind the stage. At the time of his death, Gail had half of, sorry, had a half full magazine in his Beretta and another 30 rounds on his person. Other weird coincidence, this shooting took place exactly 24 years after the shooting of John Lennon. Huh. To the day. But that was just, that, there was no link. It was just a coincidence. <laughs> um, the movie is still National Treasure. Do you want to guess what the song is? Yeah, I thought that around this time, perhaps Hey There Delilah came out. Oh! That was, my, that was like my favorite song for a while. Very that close. That was where I was in my life. Whoa, I don't know what this is. I'm going to try will. to figure it out. I'm loving it so far. listening to it over earphones the other yesterday and like i don't know if you could tell but the background percussion is someone going like this 
yeah with her tongue that's pop. so inventive oh my god you don't it, like that it was giving me the opposite of asmr <laughs> misophonia misophonia other than that great job snoop anything else before the recap no i just really loved this episode and i'm so excited oh, to my talk god. about it i don't know if i like this one or the last one better like, I definitely liked this one better. Lost just really got me <laughs> this week. Anyway, the survivors are shocked as Hurley frantically explains that Ethan was not on the plane. Everyone's yelling. Jack notices that Charlie and Claire are missing, prompting Locke and him to run for the beach. We love to see Locke running. <laughs> yeah. Don't we? In the jungle, they find Claire's bag along with scattered footprints indicating a struggle. Jack shouts for them, but Locke tells him to be quiet so as not to lose the element of surprise in their ensuing hunt. The pair starts following telltale markings left by Ethan. Locke discusses the concept of others on the island and suggests returning to camp and forming a search party. Jack disagrees and heads off alone into the jungle. So, last time Jack didn't believe Claire, and now he doesn't believe Saeed, (laughs) that there's scary people out there. And Locke's got one of his big knives out. He's in his element. (laughs) (laughs) Flashback. In surgery, Jack struggles to save the life of a young woman. She goes into cardiac arrest, and Jack uses a crash cart, but the woman is beyond saving. Despite being told to call it, Jack continues to try to resuscitate her. He's saying, come on, baby. Yeah, okay, I I why did he call her baby? He doesn't know her. I was, like, expecting for there to be some payoff when they were talking about it after. Like, is this a family member of theirs? That just means he acts like that in every surgery, which I don't want to imagine my surgeon. Why did he call her baby? Ugh. Maybe he just says that about it. Maybe he says that about the vending machine when it's broken, too. <laughs> When he's rolling dice. I was eating sugar plum ice cream during that scene. Oh, sugar plum again. Oh my god, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's Diciembre, baby. I was so upset because it had little gobs of, like, red goo. What? Well, because I was watching, like, during the surgery Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) And then I wrote, is this what Grey's Anatomy is like? (laughs) Fuck, I've never seen that that show. Oh, that's, that'll be our next show. podcast. (laughs) His father eventually intervenes, and Jack is extremely angry with him, telling him to call it himself. At the caves, Locke quickly recruits Kate and Boone despite Shannon's reservations, but refuses Michael and Walt when they offer their services. Michael threatens to put together another party, and Locke's like, okay, go south, <laughs> which was funny. Yeah. Heading out, the group soon catches up with Jack, who has been unknowingly running in circles Yikes, my guy. Okay, Jack should start training an apprentice. If he's going to be putting his life at risk anytime someone goes missing, anytime yeah. someone gets kidnapped. <laughs> um, which is every day, which practically. Which is every goddamn day. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a good point. I never considered that something could happen to Jack and then we wouldn't have a doctor. Yeah. Start training son. She's like halfway there. Yeah, she's like... A homeopathic doctor already. Do we know that she can speak English yet? I yeah. mean, we as the rest of the, the islanders. I don't think so. Is it just Michael? Yeah. Oh. They're best friends. Locke wants Jack to go back, saying, be the doctor, let me be the hunter. Locke also takes the blame for spending time with Ethan and not <laughs> sensing anything off about him. Do you think he's telling the truth there? I can't tell. Liza Minnelli lies, I think. What? I think that, that there mean? is no goddamn way... That oh. he spent that much time with him, considering how how much he knows everything about everything. Yeah. He's so in tune. There's no way that he didn't guess that. Ooh. Uh, Jack refuses to turn back and the group moves out. 
We flash back to a nurse placing a sheet over the dead woman as Christian scolds Jack for taking over his operation. Apparently, Christian had been having lunch at a restaurant when the woman crashed and he was called to surgery. He asks Jack how he knew about the procedure, and Jack replies that a nurse came and told him Christian's hands were shaking and he had made a mistake during her initial surgery, cutting the patient's hepatic artery. The two argue as Christian defends his abilities. Jack asks his father how many drinks he had at lunch, causing him to stop talking. Back at the caves, Michael talks to Hurley about being left out of the main group. He refers to Locke as Mount Baldy. That's not clever or funny. He's a mountain? (laughs) Yeah, since when? (laughs) Walt stands up to his dad to defend Locke and his judgment. This is not well received by Michael, who leaves his son with Hurley and heads south to look for Claire and Charlie. Walt shakes his head when Hurley says he's known as a warrior back home. And I was like, yes, we're all shaking our heads at Hurley. (laughs) This kid gets it. I just, another like one-off thing from Hurley where he just like doesn't go into what that means. (laughs) I really like that. Locke marks his line of sight as Jack grows increasingly impatient. Jack wants to move immediately, but Locke needs time to find the trail and catch his bearings. Kate is sick of the way Jack is interacting with Locke. He admits that he never believed Claire's claims that someone was trying to hurt her. He's overcompensating. He's got a real savior complex. Mm -hmm. Locke suddenly shouts for Jack and shows that he has found the L from the late finger bands, the L-A-T-E finger bands Charlie wears. They think he's leaving a trail. Continuing through the jungle, they find the A pointing in one direction, but Locke also sees footprints heading off in another. Kate suggests that Ethan could be setting up a dummy trail. They all freaked out when she said dummy trail. (laughs) Yeah, okay. She didn't. I I don't understand why her having an idea meant that she's suddenly a tracker too. Yeah, like she had an original thought, just like all four of you are capable of doing. Yeah, and then Jack. Oh my god, I was so mad at Jack after that because he's like, we have two trackers now. Yeah, that's not what anyone said. That was crazy. But when she delivered that line, like Ian Summerholder was in the shot. And I I thought, what's going on with his face? Because when she said dummy trail, he was like, huh? And I was like, that's a weird acting choice from Ian Summerholder. But then every other character yeah. in the scene was like, whoa. It, yeah. <laughs> Two trackers. <laughs> Kate must never have ideas. <laughs> I mean, she learned to count to five in the that's first true. episode. And she's come a long way. <laughs> With no way of knowing which direction is the right one, the group splits with Locke leading Boone and Kate tracking with Jack. I love Locke and Boone. Oh my god. This is, I wrote down that that's the most human that I've seen Locke this whole fucking time. Name a more iconic duo. (laughs) Back at the cave, Sawyer hears about the mission from Walt. Um, Another iconic duo. Who got taken by what? Charlie and Claire. We love Walt with Sawyer. Yeah. We love a tough guy who's nice to kids. (laughs) Walt thinks other people might live on the island and supports his claims with Saeed's comments about hearing whispers in the jungle. The, oh, I skipped that Sawyer asks Walt for his opinion, which is nice. Like, probably. He does? Wait, what does he say? Like, what do you make of all this? Are there other people out there? Do you think Charlie and what's her name, Claire, <laughs> were kidnapped. Because, like, Sawyer, I mean, fuck. Luke. 
<laughs> Walt just turns up and he's like, hey, do you hear what happened? And Sawyer, like, gen- genuinely wants to know what Walt thinks. But then when Walt says, like, oh, here's what Saeed says, that's when Sawyer's oh, like, right. oh, Saeed's back. <laughs> Uh, in that scene, Sawyer calls Charlie a reject from VH1 has-beens mm-hmm. and refers to Walt as a six-year-old. <laughs> wow. Locke and Boone move along their path. Boone's still calling him Mr. Locke. Like, Precious. <laughs> no one else is. He asks Locke what he did in the real world. I was a regional collection supervisor for a box company. A box company? They made boxes. Yeah, right. (laughs) Doesn't believe him. (laughs) On the other path, Kate explains that she learned to track from her father, an ex-soldier in the army, with whom she used to hike and track deer in Washington. I can't wait to find out more about that. Mm. When she's done, she says, anything you want to share, Jack? (laughs) Who said they were trading stories? <laughs> that was literally just a device for this episode for the audience to go like, oh, if you only knew, sister. Because that ah, leads directly yeah, into, yeah, a, yeah. into a dad flashback. <laughs> like, there was no, there, it wasn't a, there was no motivated reason for her to be like, well, what about your dad, Jack? Like, all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, in the flashback, Jack is called to Christian's office. His father has written up the report for the dead woman, which states the patient's death was unavoidable. Jack, however, argues that his father was impaired, but Christian points out Jack is listed as the surgeon of record at the time of death. If Jack contests the report, Christian could lose his license, but Jack doesn't seem to care. This conflict makes this my favorite backstory that we've seen so far. Yeah, I could have watched a whole episode about... It's, like, simple. There's, like, not a whole lot of, like, external, like, story things going on. It's literally just about this relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. There's no psychics. <laughs> no psychics. But then the no hospital smack. psychic comes in <laughs> and says, I'm on heroin. <laughs> Christian calls him soft again in that metal analogy. He's mm-hmm. always, his whole life he's been telling him he doesn't have what it takes. He takes credit for Jack's success while simultaneously making an excuse for being a poor father. Yep. He claims that if he hadn't acted the way he did, Jack wouldn't have been a great surgeon and saved so many lives. So he managed to take credit for his son's career, for sick people becoming well, all while not actually apologizing. It's not only like taking credit for how how far you've come, but it's also taking credit for all the people that you've healed or saved. Mm-hmm. Like That was a complex manipulation and a complex scene. Mm-hmm. In the end, Jack signs the document, much to Christian's relief. At the caves... Saeed awakens to see Sawyer standing over him. Sawyer threatens Saeed but stops himself from carrying out his revenge when he hears about the French woman and her claims of others on the island. Did you notice Saeed says science expedition? He knows that science team sounds dumb. (laughs) He called bullshit on that. (laughs) Saeed mentions here that he was never going to return. Can you imagine? Yeah, I don't know about that. Would they have gone to look for him? Would they assume he's what dead? What would have happened if they had been rescued? Yeah, was he going to try to get independently rescued? Like, what was he going to do? <laughs> Sawyer <laughs> says, you Islams in this scene, LOL. And he, he does? <laughs> yeah. He's like, you Islams are blah, blah, blah. And he calls Jack Dr. Do-Right. The mention of the whispering intrigues Sawyer. He wants to know more. Have you got something to say to me, Sawyer? Or are you going to continue asking me questions you know I don't have the answers to? 
So Saeed shared what Rousseau told him about her, what she heard, but he chooses not to elaborate on his own experience, which I thought was interesting. Oh, wait, I thought he did tell him that he heard whispers. No, he was like, here's what she told. She said, there's other people out there. She killed her party because they were sick. She said she heard whispers. But then he's like, you know, I came back and I heard something. And Sawyer's like, well, heard what? And Saeed's like, you know what? What's this conversation about? So for some reason, Saeed's not like ready to elaborate on his own experience. Yeah. Hmm. Deciding not to retaliate, Sawyer leaves mentioning as he goes that he kept the signal fire burning while Saeed was away. Mm. Are they going to be friends? (laughs) I hope so. So Sawyer gets to know about the others and the science team being killed. I would like to know how many people got this information. Yeah. Like the well, people. Well, because like as soon as Saeed got there, everybody ran away to go get Charlie and Claire. So like it could Jack be that he hasn't there. gotten to tell anyone about this yet. Yeah. Like Jack was there to look at his busted up body. Mm-hmm. And like there were a couple other people standing around. But yeah, I don't know who knows what at this point, but I think that's important. Meanwhile, at the beach, we learn Hurley is experienced at backgammon, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's known as a warrior. Here's what we know about him so far. Oh, maybe that's why he's a warrior. <laughs> Do you think? Maybe, like... <laughs> backgammon Walt keeps winning, though, because he's just rolling really well. Walt accidentally reveals that he has another dad. <laughs> I gotta learn more about Brian. I can't wait. Why is he not living with Brian? Well, I am assuming that Brian is the husband of the mom who died. Right. But if that's, like, his dad, like, why didn't Brian get custody? I mean, that's now a very sad and complicated situation. Yeah. Like, if you're not... <laughs> it wasn't sad before, but... If you're not related, you're raising a child that you're not related to, but now your connection to them, your legal connection to them has died. What claim do you have over them? And then the question is, did he want him still? Yeah. I don't mm. think Michael wants to raise him. I wish I knew how often Michael and Walt saw, saw each other in Walt's life so far. Yeah. We haven't had a Michael episode yet. Or a Walt no. episode. I'm concerned whenever someone says other now. He said my other dad. And I was like, is Brian a problem? <laughs> <laughs> Hurley soon leaves, but not before Walt reminds him that he owes him $20,000. Oh my God. Still searching, Locke follows a gut instinct trying to find Claire and Charlie. Boone talks about his life working as part of his mother's (laughs) wedding firm. What is a wedding firm? Is that like a wedding planning business? Yeah. Probably the, you know, the venue and the florist and the caterer. You can probably hire someone to figure all that out for you. She's the Martha Stewart of matrimony. (laughs) Locke suggests Boone head back, but he refuses. It's a little romantic between Locke and Boone here. They're like joking around, they're smiling, and then the rain starts to pour and they laugh. And they smile they at each other. They look into each other's eyes. I love when it rains on this show. I love when it rains on any show. Yeah. I one up to you. It's great. Cool. As rain starts to fall, both teams carry on. Jack and Kate stumble on the tee from Charlie's bands, and Jack hears a distant scream, though Kate does not hear it. Jack climbs up a small hill in the pouring rain. Climbing those vines was cool as fuck. Yeah. And then he slips and he falls ass over tea kettle again. (laughs) Pulling himself together, he sees Ethan standing over him. Ethan threatens to kill one of the captives if Jack keeps following him. They fight, but Ethan knocks him out. That scene was like a lot for me to deal with. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I I didn't expect to see Ethan in this episode, and I kind of wish we hadn't. I... 
I for some reason was like, oh, well, the chase is over. There he is. Well, I, because like when Kate gets to him, she's like, you hit your head really hard. Right. So it's also this thing of like, well, was he? Wow. Now he's not being believed. He never believes anyone. And now she Mm. doesn't believe what he said. (laughs) Flashback. As Jack walks down a hallway in the hospital, he sees his father talking to a man. A nurse tells Jack that's the dead woman's husband and he is threatening to sue. Christian comforts the man in exactly the same way he had comforted Jack during his apology. It's not an apology. That wasn't an apology. I call bullshit on that, Lostpedia. (laughs) The same way he had comforted Jack the day before, the hand on the shoulder. Jack quietly seethes. In the present day, Jack regains consciousness a few minutes later with Kate at his side. She does all of that face touching that you pointed out that he does to her. Mm. There's a clear comfort level here with physical touch. They've reached that level of intimacy. They started out (laughs) with that, I think. Spooning in the cockpit. (laughs) Come spoon me in the cockpit. (laughs) Jack says, I'm not letting him do this, not again, and runs after Ethan. What the hell does that mean? Again? Yeah. He said that I I watched the scene again so that I could, because I was like, what the hell? He's not letting Ethan. Yeah, he says, I'm not letting him do this. Not again. And then he takes off running and Kate goes, letting him. What? (laughs) But that wasn't my question. My question was again. (laughs) That's not the part of the sentence that I had a question about. Him. (laughs) (laughs) We flash back to a hearing of the hospital board, I would assume. Christian justifies his position and recites his testimony of the events. He concludes that the damage the woman had incurred was beyond medical help. The board members thank Christian and apologize for the procedure. But Jack is suddenly startled as an official adds, and you were aware that the patient was pregnant. To his astonishment, Christian confirms he knew about the pregnancy. So is this why Jack is overcompensating in the search for Claire? This is hitting too close to home for him, and he's not going to let another pregnant lady die on oh, him. Oh, I didn't think about that. And plus, he feels guilty for not believing her in the first place. I, I think that he would still be doing this with the same amount of vigor if it was just Charlie, or like, if it was someone who wasn't pregnant. That might be why he said not again. Oh, well, shit. Because, like, does he consider this pregnant lady's death his fault i mean yeah I don't he was know. a surgeon of record at the time of death even though clearly I it's not his fault i don't understand that and then like now he feels responsible for claire i don't know this that dialogue didn't really make a lot of sense not <laughs> <laughs> just as the flashback hearing is adjourning jack says that he must revise his statement Jack is markedly fucked up by the news that there was a fetus. Mm -hmm. He reveals his father was intoxicated while working, and in his professional opinion, this led to the patient's death. Moments later in the present day, Kate and Jack find Charlie hanging by the neck from a tree. As Jack grabs him, Kate manages to cut him down, and Kate holds Charlie's hand as Jack totally makes out with him. (laughs) Just kidding. It's actually CPR. It's aggressive CPR. (laughs) They're both crying as, after many moments, there is still no response from Charlie. Jack continues to pound on Charlie's chest. Kate tries to get Jack to stop. It's a clear parallel to call it Jack from Mm -hmm. the beginning of the episode. He does stop, but then he refuses to give up and resumes pounding his heart back to life. Was that funny to you? Because I laughed. I think it was because, like, you've got this sad music playing. You've got, like, the sound of rain. Jack is pounding on his chest, like, come on, Charlie. And it's like, Kate's crying. And so she finally gets him to stop. And then the music stops. And then you, like 
hold it for a beat. <laughs> and then he just starts pounding him again. It's an I encore. don't know why it made me laugh. <laughs> if any humor scientists can break down why that was funny. I mean... He just punched him in the torso for what felt like three and a half minutes. I looked up what this was about because I've seen people's hearts get punched before and I don't know what the hell's going on. (laughs) So it's called a precordial thump. You strike at the middle of a person's sternum with the ulna side of the fist. As far as I can tell online, it's almost never used in real life because it's only useful like if you don't have a defibrillator. Oh, okay. If you do it right, you can produce some amount of electrical depolarization I read a ton online about the cardiac cycle to try to understand what depolarization is and why you need your heart to do that. And what I found is that that's how your heart beats. So the sinoatrial or the SA node initiates depolarization in the atria, which causes contraction there. And then the SA node, that's the pacemaker, that node, sends the depolarization to the atrioventricular node. So then we're on node two now. That node makes your ventricles contract. So if you remember learning about systole and diastole. Oh, yeah, I do. (laughs) That whole thing that I just described is the systole phase of the heartbeat. That's the contraction phase. And Mm -hmm. that's what depolarization does in the heart specifically. It's an essential function of many other cells, too. But that's why Jack punching Charlie woke him up, because that's like a last ditch effort to get depolarization started, to get your heart to start contracting again. In elementary school gym class, every February, we had this obstacle course that was like (laughs) the the parts of the heart. It was so fucking fun. They had all these mats and I, oh, we had, we were big into obstacle courses. Actually, my elementary school PE class was fucking lit. We had um, an African dance instructor. Oh my God. Every year. Uh, We had a cup stacking instructor come in every year. We had, we had a karate instructor come in once a year. That shit was awesome. I'm so jealous. My school didn't have that kind of money. Oh my god, we also had a jump rope unit. Oh my god. We had this jump rope unit that we would do. We would do challenges. So like who can jump for like one minute straight? Who can jump for like a minute and 30 seconds straight? And then we have the who let the dogs out challenge. And then (laughs) it was who could jump for the entirety of Baja Men's. Oh my god, is that a long song? Uh... I think it's like an. I don't know why they chose that song. How Did anyone pass out? <laughs> Who let the dogs out? Okay, it's like three and a half minutes. I don't. I don't. I. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to jump rope for that long. I don't think I ever did. Not because I couldn't, just out of principle. <laughs> Charlie finally wakes up coughing as Jack and Kate cry with happiness. It looked. I took a video for you <laughs> to look at. It looked like Jack had just given birth to Charlie and Kate is the father. <laughs> that went on for 20 I, seconds this, like that. That felt like um a weird like theater school exercise. Like did you ever do the thing where like you had to die? You had to like fake die? Not in college, oh. like when I was young. Wait, what? We you didn't do it in college? When did you do it? When was that Wait, appropriate for explain you to do? what you're saying. Well, we, um, <laughs> we did this thing 
in college were like, oh God, you, okay, you would choose an age that you wanted to be. <laughs> and so I already hate it. I chose like, I don't know, seven. And so you would, it was like kind of like doing viewpoints, but like basically you just like ran around pretending to be a kid and mm-hmm. playing. But then at a certain point, you were supposed to like contract an illness or an injury and you were supposed to die. <laughs> so you had, it was like, I don't even remember. I think mine was like, I got stabbed in the stomach and I had to like bleed out from that. That's a common death for seven year olds. So <laughs> yeah, that was exactly <laughs> And so then at a certain point you would die and then the teacher and like the strongest boy in the class would like go around and carry everyone's body to the middle of the floor. And then the teacher went around and slapped everybody on the ass. Oh, that's almost worse. Yeah. (laughs) Slapped everybody on the ass and then that woke us up and then we were newborn babies again. And we had to cry until somebody like coddled us and until we were done crying it was the weirdest shit back at the caves walt comments that charlie has not spoken since jack and kate brought him back (laughs) but he says (laughs) they brought charlie back but he hasn't said anything since he came back and i don't know how i would deliver that line they brought charlie back but he hasn't said anything since he came back i don't know how you're supposed to deliver that line Charlie sits silently staring into the fire. Jack promises to go back out for Claire the moment the sun comes up, and Charlie coldly says he does not remember anything. He he ominously adds that they were after Claire all along. Meanwhile, a worried Shannon approaches Kate, telling her Locke and Boone have not returned yet. Her bitch ass is worried about him now. (laughs) Out in the jungle, Boone concludes they are lost. They are lost. He says he wants to go back. Regarding his flashlight, Locke says, you need this more than I do. Weird flex. Yeah. When Locke tosses him the flashlight, Boone fails to catch it. As it hits the ground, they hear a metallic clank, and Locke says, it's something made of steel. Is that part of the plane? Part of the wreckage? It sounds cavernous to me. I don't think it's Mm -hmm. solid. (laughs) The two begin to unearth a structure beneath the earth. That's the recap. Hit the yay button. This episode is so... Oh, I lost it. You know what I do have? Oh, that scream will forever be in my (laughs) inside of me. Let's get into these anagrams. Oh my god. I can't wait to hear them. Anagrams to other man. Oh. And before you ask, I did figure this out by myself by writing it out on paper. <laughs> That's what that looks like. But not on my first try. I had to work on this episode before I realized that he'll likely be one of these others that I keep hearing about. Mm. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I wrote out a lot of options and I was like, nope, can't figure it out. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, duh. One thing that cracks me up is this actor has the word other in his last name. Oh, his really? last name is like M-A-P-O-T-H-E-R. Riddle me this, Caroline. I decided to scan the IMDb to see if any more characters' names have other in them because I'm not going to let the show pull a fast one on me. Uh-huh. 
And uh, Shannon's last name has it. What is it? Rutherford. She just said it in the last episode. Like the episode where we found out that Ethan is a problem uh-huh. is when we find out her last name. Oh. That seems important. Hmm. Um, what's that about? And then that's when I realized that she has a different last name than Boone. Oh. I have a question. His last name is Carlisle and her last name is Rutherford. Oh, okay. Are they... Yeah. So, like, I don't think she's married, so maybe they have different fathers. I don't get it. Predictions. I bet that Rousseau is going to encounter our group of survivors at some point, and I predict that the knowledge of her having murdered everyone she was shipwrecked with is going to be a problem Mm -hmm. for everyone. I predict that what Brian, the stepfather, said, that Walt is the luckiest person he ever knew. I hope that comes up or pays off. Yeah. And then a prediction question is, is Claire having Rosemary's baby? What's happening? Why do evil people want it? Is it the devil baby? (laughs) Oh, was um, what Jack did to his dad in this flashback the thing that his mom was talking about? Oh, you're right. Did we get that payoff? That would kind of make sense. I guess, yeah. But also, like, fuck you, mom. R.I.P. to the pregnant lady that died on the table. I only have one piece of trivia because we had a whole actor spotlight. But when Sawyer called Walt Tattoo, that was a reference to a dwarfed character on the TV series Fantasy Island. So it's another dig at him being (laughs) a a kid. That's a really, like, deep reference. (laughs) Yeah, I heard it when he said it and I was like, why? MVP on three? Mm Mm-hmm. One, two, three, boom. The employees of the St. Sebastian Hospital. Oh, yeah, that nurse. Yeah. Even though, I mean. Why Boone? I said Boone because he dropped that flashlight and (laughs) now we have a new mystery. Boone for not having good hand-eye coordination. Most valuable passenger. Um, I said the hospital employees who have to deal with all the drama between Dr. Shepard and Dr. Shepard every fucking day. Especially the working while intoxicated issue. Like, yeah. this is a repeated issue that these people have to deal with. Have you ever heard of that podcast, um, Dr. Death? Yeah. Have you listened to it? No. I tried listening to it and I had to turn it off because I get far oh, too yeah. squeamish. Um, that's why That's why I don't think that I could watch Grey's Anatomy is because yeah. I am terrified of the doctor. I'm not squeamish, but... Um, I watched the show Outlander, which is a stars show that three seasons are on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And the main character is a surgeon. And there's a lot of stuff on that show that makes me squeamish. Mm -hmm. The real issue is it takes place in the 18th century. So all of her medical stuff is is gruesome. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Is that it? We're recording another episode today. Yeah, it's six in the morning. Just kidding. <laughs> it's one thirty in the afternoon. Um, cool. Follow us on Instagram at you lost me pod, Twitter at you lost me pod, email us at you lost me pod at gmail.com. Email us if you have any notes on the episodes, if anybody's watching. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody's out there. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>